Okay. All right, so we opened a hotbed of controversy last week. I have been getting notes and emails and Facebooks all week long. So we're going to have a whole bunch of fun uh, here tonight. What did we think? Did we get it? We're getting it set, yeah. Okay, that probably won't work, but okay. All right. Totally forgot to charge my iPad this week, so um, we are probably going to be um, chalkboardless uh, tonight. So I'll tell you what, let's uh, grab our Bibles. We'll start, we'll dig back in uh, to where we were. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We've got the roving microphones showing up. We got one. One more coming. Okay, we got one more coming. All right, we're good. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So after some time, maybe it'll work. All right. Okay, okay. All right, so kind of where we uh, left off last time, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 7, and uh, we'd gotten into verses 10 to 15, where it begins to talk about the subject of divorce. So before we get there, because it's a great moment for us to have this conversation, let's, let's just lay a little bit of groundwork together. So what do I do in the moments when I look at Scripture and I don't like my answer? What do I do when I read the Bible and I say, I, I hate what the Bible says about that topic? Because let's just be honest. How many would just say, look, there, there's some stuff in the Bible. I don't know that I necessarily, if I were God, I would have written that. Okay. The rest of you are going, no, me and God were. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to, I'm a pastor and I'm going to tell you, honestly, I, you know, at some point, I would love, as I get to heaven, to sit down and go, Lord, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure why you made that rule exactly where you made it. I'm not sure why that line is where that line is. I've just come to a point in my life by trying to wrestle with and navigate and kick back on God and finding out that in every single occasion when I do that, I'm wrong. I blow it. That I've come to the conclusion that it just simply says, boy, if Scripture says it, then... That's what's right. And a matter of fact, I think that's exactly what Jesus taught about Scripture. Matter of fact, grab your Bibles real quick. Go with me to Matthew chapter 24. It's going to be a little bit to the left in your Bible. Matthew chapter 24, verse 35. This is Jesus talking about Scripture. He just simply says this. Matthew chapter 24, starting verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And you get that in that moment, what Jesus is just simply saying, he's saying, look, every bit of human experience, every bit of this universe, things that we think are forever, like planets and stars, and those things are more likely to vanish and more likely to be done away with then that you would find that anything I have told you, anything I've taught, ready? Anything that is Scripture would not be true. So just based on that, if you were sitting with Jesus tonight and you said to him, Jesus, look, 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 I know what you're saying. I know what you're teaching. But my Sunday school teacher always said something that's different. Who's right? Jesus or the Sunday school teacher? Okay, okay. I, you're like, this is a trick question. He's trying to fool us. It's Sunday school teacher. 
No, it's okay, it's Jesus. If 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 scripture says something, if Jesus teaches something, and it's completely different than culture. I mean, culture just says that's the dumbest answer, that's a crazy answer, but Jesus says something else. Is Jesus right or is culture right? Okay? Is scripture right or is culture right? Scripture's right. Okay, all right, so here's the hard one. What if my life experience goes completely contrary to the Bible? What if, what if I say, no, 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 there was this aunt or there was this uncle or there was this moment in my life and I know what Scripture says about that topic. I know what it says about forgiveness or I know what it says about honesty. And I'm just telling you, there was a moment I told a lie and boy, that was the best policy. Or I, there, there was a moment when, you know, it said, love your enemies and I hated my enemy and it was the best thing. I, and so what if you would say, based on my life experience and based on how it turned out when I completely violated Scripture and right now, man, my life's coming up roses but it violates Scripture. Is life experience right or is Scripture right? How often? All the time. So here's the deal, and this is why we had to say this together. I guarantee you what we're about ready to tackle and go through on this issue of divorce, there's going to be a whole bunch of us going to go, wait, whoa, whoa, wait. That's not what my family's taught me. That's, that's not what my life experience is. It's surely not what culture says to do in those moments. And here's, here's I just got to be, you know, and I'm not trying to, Beat anybody up or behind. I'm just, I'm just telling you from life experience. You're hearing it from a guy who has kicked against God and said, no, 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 God, you can't possibly understand my circumstances. You can't possibly know what's going on in this sense. I get that, you're, I get that Scripture was a general basic principle, but specifically, you didn't understand my circumstance. And here's what you need to hear me say. Every single time, I have found an excuse or a reason to violate what Scripture says to do. I've been wrong. It has turned out disastrously in my life. And where I have come and where I believe you will eventually come, and hopefully not through the, through the life of hard knocks, is to say, Jesus taught. Scripture is always right. Despite my life experience, despite my friends, despite my culture, Scripture is always right. And I don't have to learn every one of my lessons the hard way. I choose instead to simply do what Scripture says and then trust God for the outcome. Okay? And why I say that is because, again, you and I are going to do some stuff that's going to be hard for us to swallow tonight. It's going to be a little rough on, on, on some of us. But it's what Scripture says. And you and I will always be right when we obey. We'll always be wrong when we disobey. And the interesting thing is, is that we go through the rest of 1 Corinthians. It's gonna, we're going to do this two or three more times. We're going to come to a couple passages. We go, man, if I were God, I'm not sure I would have said that. I'm not sure I would have made that command. And you and I are going to have to come back and ask this question. What do I believe about Scripture? How often is Scripture right? And the right answer, guys, and just want to say this, is always. Scripture is always always right. And you keep that in mind and it'll help us navigate. Okay? All right, so let's go back to the passage again. Let's take a look at it again. And let's see uh, where it gets us. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 7. Let's dig in again at, uh, at verse 10. It says, To the married, I give this command. Not I, but the Lord. Why did he say that phrase? We, we covered that last week. Why did he say, not I, but the Lord? Hmm. 
It was Jesus talking. You go, if you go back to Matthew uh, chapter 7, if you go back to Matthew chapter 19, Jesus very clearly gave this instruction about marriage and divorce. So he's saying, okay, so this is what Jesus taught while he was here on earth. This is, I didn't, this isn't, Jesus said this very clearly about this issue of marriage and divorce. It says, to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband must not divorce his wife. Okay. And then in the passage, when Jesus gave that, he gave one exception. Does anyone remember what the one exception that allowed for divorce when Jesus taught it? Okay. So run the mics because this is going on recording and we want the people listening to hear. Okay. So what was the one exception? Adultery. Adultery. Okay. So let me ask you this. Hey guys, why adultery? Why do you think in the mind of God, adultery becomes that violation which would then break this covenant relationship between a man and a woman? Why do, why do you think? It's one of the Ten Commandments. Okay? I'm, I'm good with that. But so is do not lie. So the first time your husband lies, man, shh. Do not steal. Do not covet. Because it also says in the Bible that a, a husband leaves, or a wife leaves her mother and cleaves to her husband. I don't know if I'm getting this right. Okay. So, I mean, I'm just saying prior in the Bible, the, the scripture that says, you know, that a husband and woman, you know, are one. Are one flesh. Are one flesh. Okay. So why does adultery violate the one flesh principle? Because it breaks the unity between husband and wife. And when they become one, I mean, on the spiritual end of it, once the adultery, it's a separation between the two. Okay, and I agree with the answer. Why the answer? Why does having sex with somebody outside of my marriage break the marriage covenant? Why does it break the one flesh principle? I think because God, well, as Christians, when they get married, they go before God and they make the commitment to God. And um, I just think that it's a sacred covenant and it's very hard for people to trust after they've crossed that barrier and that line. Okay. But here's the deal. I promised when I went before God, and you're right, you're right. And and here's what we got to get, guys, and I want to say this real loud. When we get married, you understand that you do not give your vows to each other. You give your vows to God. You are standing before God and you are making the promises not to your husband, not to your wife. You are making your promises to God about how you're going to treat your husband or how you're going to treat your wife. Okay? You get, you get that the most important person in the room, in the audience, is God because he's the one you're making the promise and the covenant with, not your spouse. Okay? But here's the thing. When we made that covenant, didn't we, didn't we promise that we would love And didn't we promise that we would honor? So let's just be honest. Ever been a moment in your marriage when you maybe weren't the most honoring? Ever been a moment in the marriage when maybe you weren't the most loving? So why doesn't that break the contract? Why doesn't that break this covenant? And why wouldn't you you be able to say, hey, look, my spouse broke the covenant, broke the one flesh principle because they weren't loving to me. They weren't honoring to me. And they swore before God they would be. Why does adultery break this promise? 
Okay. Well, I was just going to say, it's, it maybe doesn't directly answer the question, but um, just as we, the church, are the bride of Christ, it's a big deal. It was established in the beginning with Adam and Eve, and, and we see that that, that type of relationship is, is unique in its, in its union. It's the same kind of union that God wants to have with us. And so to turn from our bride is... or. Well, he can't turn from us as a bride, but to, to turn from, from that relationship, to go and, and find another, is, it's, it's accustomed to maybe an idol worship type situation where we have chosen uh, to bow down before another God because we've joined this union, like you said, before God. Okay. So it doesn't, I know, directly answer yeah. it. But, uh, I agree with you. It's a big deal. It's a big deal, and it's, 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 a, it's a heartbreak moment. Why is it a heartbreak moment? There is. Okay. Um, adultery is the unique sin in that we sin against our bodies, where all the other sins are outwardly. When you uh, commit adultery, you you sin against your body, which has a unique um, uh, tearing up of that mm. oneness that you're supposed to have in marriage. Okay. All right, so let, let, we're, we're getting so... All right, so go ahead, and then we'll... And, and just to follow up on his, when you're married, your body is not your own. It belongs to your spouse. Right. All right, so let, 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 we're close. We, we keep... Have you guys ever played Battleship? Okay. <laughs> B4 is a miss. You're right on the edge of the Battleship. So Okay. All right, so go ahead real quick, and then I'll see if we can get us there. I think it's because um, when you have sex with somebody, you become one flesh with them. And if you're married and you're having sex with your husband, I, I mean, or your wife, or whatever the case may be, uh, once you break that line and you have sex with somebody, I, I know that I've read in Scripture that once you have sex with somebody, you become one flesh with them. And I don't remember what verse it was, but it says, you know, why would you lay with a prostitute? Mm-hmm. Uh, or would Jesus lay with a prostitute and knowing so... Uh, would he do it knowing that he'd become one flesh with her? Okay. So we ju- you just probably did this while I was out of the room, but here we go. So go back to verse 18. Actually, go back to verse 15 in chapter 6. Okay, here's what it says. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? And his answer is, Never. Never would I do that. Do you not know? Okay, and here's his, here's his justification for that answer. That I would never do this. Do you not know? Don't you understand this? That whoever unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body. And here's what, and guys, I'm just going to be a little cruddy or a little crude or whatever. God is saying there's more that happens inside of a marriage bed than just the exchanging of physical pleasure. There is something much deeper and much more profound in that moment than someone's physical gratification. And don't get me wrong, that's part of it. I mean, that's part of the really cool thing that God did and said, hey, this is fun. And, you know, so that's good. But he also said in the midst of this, guys, there is something much, 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 much more profound than that. Which is why we've got to say to our young daughters and our young sons, don't you dare. 
You're, when you do this, this isn't, this isn't, hey, I just told a lie. This isn't, I just did speeding. This isn't, hey, I took a drink that was, you know, and got a little drunk. That's not what this is. This, there is something much more at stake than this. Matter of fact, uh, 1 Corinthians says, look, don't you get that every other sin that you do is outside of the body? And actually, when you go back and look at that Greek word body, it's the word soma, which just means your wholeness, your personhood. This is different when a man is with a woman, when a woman is with a man. And guys, here's the answer, is that I think women know this a little bit more intuitively than men. I think women deep within their heart realize that when they give themselves physically to a man, something deep and profound is happening in that moment. That it's not just about physical pleasure. It's why, it's why when that moment's done, she says, are you calling me tomorrow? No dog ever says that to another dog, right? Because there's something unique about when a human male and a human female are together. And here's what I'm going to suggest to you. Because it is soulish. It is soulish. And what happens in that moment has one flesh at heart. So here are the things. When a man and a woman are together physically, they are play-acting the covenant to be one. God gave you and I an amazing picture that every single time we were together in the marriage bed, we were play-acting our marriage vows again that simply said, there is no other human in the world that I will invest my life into being one with besides you. And when you and I take that outside of the marriage, we violate that promise. We violate that marriage dance. We break the covenant. Because we've now gone to another human being and said, no, I'll be one with you. We violate the covenant. And and here's the thing you've got to get, and we've talked about this a little bit in church in the past. There is something about humanness and, and the human experience that God made us that when we are together physically, that there is a stickiness of our souls. There, there's, there's something that in the midst of that physical bond that says there's more than just a physical connection going on in this moment. And if you take that stickiness of your soul and you, how many remember the tape illustration we've used in the past? Okay. And you share that around. The reality is you begin to lose your capacity to be sticky. That's why, that's why here Paul says, are you kidding me? I'm going to take that soulishness of who I am, that one flesh experience, and I'm going to indiscriminately use it with prostitutes and loose women and indiscriminate people. I'm not going to do that to myself. There is no way in the world I'm going to take this precious gift of God and do that. But at the end of the day, backing it all up, as a person, I take, I take that incredible promise between a husband and a wife and I give it away. And God says, look, if you do that, if you do the marriage dance with somebody not in your marriage, if you, if you in essence play act the one flesh covenant with somebody else, well, then you're a covenant breaker. And okay, if, if that's, then, then okay. Then, then the, the innocent spouse would have the right. Say, uh, I'm done. I'm done. 
Because you took your vow, you took your promise to me, and you gave that promise to someone else outside our marriage. Make sense? Okay. So there's a question. Um, can you address why in Mark 10.2 it doesn't mention in that passage about adultery being a valid reason for divorce? Yeah. What happens, with, what happens within Scripture, and especially when you get to the Gospels, um, you're getting four different accounts of the teachings of Jesus. And so there are moments in which, there are never moments in which you find that it's going to be contradictory. There's never a moment you're going to say, Mark said, Jesus said, hey, divorce somebody for any reason you want to. And then Matthew said, no, 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 only for divorce. But you will find moments when Mark said, yeah, okay, that, that's not that important. And so he maybe doesn't include it in his account. And where Matthew picked up more detail, or sometimes John, John, Luke, actually was probably the most detailed recorder of the accounts of Jesus. And so sometimes different passages just carry a little more detail. The privilege you and I have is because we've got four accounts, is the ability to go to all four accounts, get all four stories, blend them, and at the end have a much richer, much fuller accounting of what probably got taught that day or what happened in the detail of that day. So if they all said exactly the same thing, you wouldn't need four. It'd be pretty repetitive, okay, on the deal. Okay, so number one cause, number one reason why someone can get a divorce, Jesus taught it, adultery, okay? So here's the deal. If we stop there, if we just go, okay, I'm only going to take what Jesus taught, how many excuses are there for divorce? One, okay, one. Paul is actually going to take it a step further. Paul's going to say, okay, so that's what Jesus taught. That's what Jesus brought to the table on this particular topic about divorce. He said, I'm actually going to now take us a step further. This is, this is what I have come to understand that is biblical and right and what God has instructed. And he, takes, and he says, and this is, this is now me. Why, did, why does Paul need to take it a step further? We talked about this a little bit last week. What's happening in the time of Paul that was not happening in the time of Jesus? Marriage between believers and non-believers. Yeah. So what's happening now is you've got a thing called the church. So stop and think about this moment. Paul goes into a town. He begins to preach Jesus. Now, at the time of Jesus, Jesus is teaching Jews. He's basically saying, look, within this relationship, um, the only way a marriage can be dissolved is if a husband is, commits adultery, if a wife commits adultery. But now with the onset of the church, there's a whole new dynamic because Paul goes into a town, begins to preach... And now what if the husband becomes a believer, but the wife refuses to believe? Or vice versa, the wife becomes a believer and the husband refuses to believe. And what if in the midst of believing, the husband says to the wife, Look, I'm so mad that you're no longer a Jew, that you're now a Christ follower, I'm throwing you out of the house. Or vice versa. What if the woman says, Look, I'm just so disgusted that you have converted and that you've actually become a Christ follower and I I just no longer want to be your wife because I've been raised a Jew all of my life. And so what's happening now is, is just by the very natural thing of conversion, you're ending up with mixed marriages, believers with non-believers. And Paul is now having to navigate that moment. He's saying, okay, here's what I believe the Lord has instructed about this moment that is now happening because of the onset of the church. We're there? Okay, so here we go. To the rest, I say this, 
I, not the Lord. And again, just want to say out loud, guys, not because it's not scriptural, just because he's saying he's acknowledging Jesus did not go here. Jesus didn't teach on this. I'm having to do it now because of the present circumstance. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and she is willing to live and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. And actually that word holy there simply means set apart. Okay. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. An unbelieving man or a woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? And how do you know, husband, whether or not you will save your wife? Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him, to which the Lord has called him. Okay. So, second condition in which Scripture allows for divorce is what? Abandonment. Abandonment by whom? By a non-believer. So, run some scenarios. Here is a believing woman, and she's married to a non-believing man, and now that she's become a believer, he is just a jerk. And she says, I'm just done. You know, he's giving me a hard time about my faith, and he's giving me a hard time about wanting to go to church. So I, as the believing wife, am going to leave my unbelieving husband. Is that biblical? Okay. I have an unbelieving man who simply says, hey, you know what? Uh, This isn't what I bargained for. See, I married this wild, crazy, do-anything-go-anywhere woman. And now that you're a Christ follower, you're not willing to go do some of the things we used to do and hang some of the places that we used to hang. And I'm just done. I have no, I have no interest in being married to a Christ follower. And so now the unbelieving husband decides to leave the believing wife. Can that happen? Okay. And scripture then says, and the, uh, the believing wife in that situation is no longer bound, which means she's free to remarry if that moment comes. Okay. Now question. I can get divorced over adultery. I can get divorced if an unbeliever abandons me. What other conditions in Scripture allow for divorce? Chapter, verse. Right answer. Okay? There aren't any others. You you cannot find any other conditions in Scripture in which Scripture allows for divorce. Now, now brings the million-dollar moment. And I'm just going to say out loud and be totally honest and say to you, you know what? If I were God, and I'm just, I'm not God, I think I might have considered a couple other conditions. I think I might have considered a couple other exceptions. I'm not God, so who cares? But I have to tell you, I, I would. But here's where I get left. I get left with, If Scripture says something, and if I don't like it, who's right? Scripture. Scripture. So let's talk for a moment about some conditions that seem to have been overlooked. Some moments that, that, man, I'm not sure why God didn't include it. And let's talk about how a Christian should navigate those moments, okay, in their life. So let's see if there's any chance that my pad is going to work and we can write some of these down. 
Okay, so in the back, you guys want to give it a try to see if the pad is working? Maybe. Okay, I think, I think maybe. All right, we are in business. Okay, so, yeah. What constitutes adultery? I think the shading sometimes in people's eyes. Okay, so what constitutes adultery? Adultery is constituted when I have sex with somebody who's not my partner. How about pornography? All right, so how about pornography? What do we think? Is pornography adultery? Yeah. How about a kiss? Huh? A kiss. So wait, wait, let's, all right, so let's go. All right, all right, all right. You guys are getting me in trouble. All right. Thank you, my wife. Okay. <laughs> now you know why I don't bring her to Bible study every night. Um, all right. Is, all right, so let's ask the question. Is pornography adultery? Okay, how many say yes? How many say no? No. How many are not raising their hands? All right. Okay, I think that one was pretty close to half and half. All right, how many, how many say that a kiss is adultery? A kiss over two seconds is adultery. Okay, how many say yes? How many say no? Okay. Um... How about lust? How many say lust is adultery? How many say lust is not adultery? How many say if lust is adultery, then I am really in trouble? (laughs) Okay. Okay. All right. So Jesus says, okay, remember this? Jesus says, You have heard that it has been said, do not commit adultery. I say to you that if you look on a woman with lust, you have already committed adultery in your heart. So let me ask you a question. Was Jesus in that moment teaching that lust was adultery? Every guy in this room is just going, oh, dude. (laughs) What did Jesus say? He says you committed adultery in your heart. Not that you did it. You committed it in your heart. It's the same way, remember, remember it says, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. Look, 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 we all know you haven't committed murder. You've committed murder in your heart. Understand the difference? Because he's still alive. Okay? I haven't, I haven't had sex with that woman. Okay? I haven't messed up her life. I haven't, you know, I've done something in my heart. Don't get me wrong, it's still wrong, and that's what Jesus was trying to teach. It's wrong, but you you get that there's a difference between something I conceive in my heart and something I act out on. And guys, ladies, I'm just going to tell you this, and sheesh, I mean, okay, if if the women in this room want to say, I have never lusted after another man other than my husband, okay, I'm going to try to believe you. But can I just tell you, there's not a man in this room that's going to pass that test, okay? So which means you could divorce all of us. Okay. Okay. It, it's clearly not what Jesus was teaching. It's not where he was going. Okay. It's not, don't get me wrong, and I am not condoning it. I am not minimizing it. I'm just saying it's not biblical grounds for divorce. That's not, Jesus is clearly talking about the physical act of going outside the marriage and being ready. One flesh, not one mentally, one flesh with somebody else. Okay? Okay. I think um, when you, like, you're talking about murder, like, 
that I think you're murdering yourself in a sense because yeah. you're only harming yourself. I think the Lord was speaking of that too. Sure. Uh, because what you do to others will be brought back to yourself, and that murder is like an anger, and it just it's boiling inside of you, and right. it just ends up killing you. And I think I think you're on there in that when we sin, sin often has multiple victims. When I murder, I there's a part of me that's been deeply affected in that moment, but of course there's the victim. In this moment, Jesus says, look, the, the effect you've done in your life is, is, is the effect. You, you haven't harmed the other person yet, but you've harmed yourself by hating. You have done that. What, a, what about um, emotional adultery in the sense where, yeah. because I, I think I'm hearing when it, that you're saying, unless you commit the act, then it's mm-hmm. a sin. But what a, I hear a lot when people say, oh, but I only talked to him or only talked to sure. her or only did this or on an emotional level, but right. because I didn't commit the act, I'm okay. It's a, it's a great question. So here's, here's my best answer to it, and that is simply this. You need to know, and this is a problem we've got right now, and probably, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm speaking in generalities, so again, forgive me for generalities, this is, this is this, if men are lusting, women commit emotional adultery. And uh, a lot of times it's not lust-based, it's emotion-based. And I've found some man who speaks to my heart, who listens to my problems, and I, I have formed an emotional attachment to him that really only belongs to my husband. And so I've committed kind of an emotional adultery outside. And here's the answer to that. It is, it's vile. Can I just say this? It's vile because the truth is you'll never be able to invest in your marriage and you'll never be able to invest in your relationship as long as you're having that emotional adultery outside of your marriage, that emotional affair. But at the end of the day... Scripture is going to say that is not grounds for divorce. It's not because it did not culminate in the physical act of violating the one flesh principle. And here's, here's why, guys. And I mean, just stop and think about the slippery slope. And this is surely God's wisdom. Somebody, somebody goes in for six months, has deep, meaningful, emotional talks with somebody the opposite sex. Emotional adultery? Well, sure it is, right? That's emotional adultery. Six months of long, meaningful sharing things I don't share with my own spouse. Talks with somebody of the opposite sex. That's emotional adultery. Okay, so if we say that's grounds for divorce, okay. So what about five months? What about four months? What about three months? And so you get you get where you get, well, what if it was one time for 30 minutes? I mean... Where do you draw the line and say you've crossed that mystical line and have, and have, and have participated in emotional adultery and now I'm going to... It, it's, just, it's a slippery slope of chaos out there. So you can't. You can't. And I'm going to argue that the same thing happens with this idea of pornography. Okay? Um, and I'm, again, guys, you've got to hear me say, if you're involved in pornography, you're crazy. It is absolutely devastating to the relationship between a man and a woman. And I'm just going to say to anybody out here who's heard the, the lie that says, oh, no, 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 we're spicing up our marriage by looking at... Per- you are crazy. I'm just going to... You are crazy in the head. Okay? It will do nothing but cause damage. It will do nothing but cause heartache. And, and it will absolutely draw your hearts and your lives further apart. It, and I know in the moment, it may seem like it's... It will eventually come back and bite you. Okay? I'm just telling you. Okay? It's crazy to bring that destruction within your relationship. Because at the end of the day, here's the honest truth. You are creating okay, 
fantasized adultery with people outside your relationship. You are crazy to encourage your spouse to do that. You're crazy, okay? But at the end of the day, it is not actual adultery. Pornography is not actual adultery. And again, why? Because at the end of the day, all right, I watch a show on HBO. And, and we all know there's some shows on HBOs that Christ followers have no business watching, right? Right? All right. So did I watch pornography? Well, I'm going to tell you there are some shows on HBO that are pornography, guys. They are, okay? They're pornography. So I divorced my husband now. I divorced my wife now because they watched a show on HBO. Pornography is not adultery. It may be emotional adultery. It is not physical adultery. And the command that is happening here in Scripture is physical adultery. Okay? Now, here's what I'm going to say to you. Somebody gets deeply involved in visual pornography and doing that. Boy, nine times out of a ten, it's only a matter of time and there'll be physical adultery because you'll act out on what you've been feeding your soul. So it's dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. It's devastating to a relationship between a man and a woman. You are crazy if you involve that in your life and chances are you'll act out. Okay? But it does not, until the acting out happens, it does not constitute adultery. Okay? Questions? Yeah? The difference between lust and adultery is lust is a lot like anger. It can happen in an instant, and you can turn away from it. With adultery, when you have sex with somebody else, when you're sexually immoral, you are making a conscious decision to turn your back on God and say, this is about me, and I don't care what you say. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, and I, I appreciate that Dante, and Dante's got some history. You know, he, sh- he shared his testimony with us. But I think there's, you know, let's be honest, there's guys who know they shouldn't be involved in adultery, I mean, in, involved in pornography, and they make a conscious decision to go back and get on the computer again. And they know the whole way that they're clicking in the URL or going to the way. They know they're going the wrong direction. But again, it's this, there's, there's something unbelievably soulish about the physical contact between a man and a woman that God says this violates the covenant between the two of you. Yeah. Okay, so in your heart is not actual adultery. Right. But Jesus said, you know, you've committed those things in your heart. In your heart. So it would be a sin, correct? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And that's what you need to hear me say real, real clearly. I, I am not minimizing this. I am not saying, oh, you know, no big deal. No big deal that you're lusting in your heart. No big deal that you're looking at. I'm not saying that. And I want to say that clearly, guys. This is absolutely crazy. And it is sinful. And it is wrong. And it is devastating to your relationship. I'm simply saying that it does not qualify as the reason for divorce. It just doesn't. Okay? And again, remember we said at the beginning, we said, hey, you know, there are some places here I wish God maybe would have made some exceptions because I would have said, all right, God, so if if my husband is spending $15,000 a year on porn sites, you know, don't I get to divorce him? It's not adultery. It's not adultery. He has not physically left the covenant of the marriage. Remember, I, I told you, there's some places I'm going to go to heaven and go, God, you know. Okay? All right. 
Pastor Lynn, I have a yeah. question. What if a spouse in the marriage decides that they're going to deprive the other spouse sexually for maybe 10, 15 years? Is that a spiritual type abandonment of the marriage? And are they still bound to that marriage? Because that's one of the needs of God built in us. Sure. And the answer is no. It doesn't violate. It's sin. Don't be wrong, guys. Here's the deal. It's sin. Matter of fact, Scripture is absolutely clear. It says, do not let the wife deprive her husband of her body. Do not let the husband deprive his wife of the body. Except it be for a season of prayer. That's the only reason this is. And then you be sure you come back together again physically. You be sure you do this so that you don't put your spouse in jeopardy of lust, in jeopardy and expose them potentially out there. And I'm going to tell you, it's wrong. I don't know another way to say it. It's wrong. It's wrong to use my physical contact as a weapon or as a playing card within the relationship and say, look, until you do this or behave that way, I'm cutting you off. It's wrong and it's sinful. It's not grounds for divorce. Should you leave a marriage if they physically abuse you? There you go. Okay, so here's the next one. What if he's beating her up? What if if he's beating her up? Because remember I told you there were some places here I went, God, I'm I'm not sure why you didn't give these exceptions. What if he's beating her up? In, in, in your marriage vows, do you not say, will you not honor and love? Yeah. Then if you're beating somebody up, you're not honoring and you're not loving. Either I agree. way, are you? I agree. Then aren't you breaking a covenant Well, the, pro- the problem is, is that if you and I are going to interpret it that way, then the first time she raises her voice and is vicious. So the first time she says, you're the biggest blankety blank. She's not honoring. She's not loving. But the, if, if this continues and continues, uh, th- they still should stay with somebody like that? Okay, so here, and I, and I love the question. I love the question. Here's my, here's my question back. What did God say were the reasons for divorce? Adultery, abandonment by a non-believer. And I'm with you. Don't get me wrong. And here's what you need to hear me say out loud. I can't tell you how many women I've had come to me and say, my husband is hitting me. And I will tell you that my first instinct is to take the elders of the church and have a <laughs> consultation with him. Okay? And, and if it were up to me, after the consultation, he would never lay his hand on a woman again. Okay? Because I would consult him until he understood that. Okay? That's, that's what I would do. And most of my consulting would be nonverbal. Okay? That's, that's if you leave this to me. Because I'm just going to tell you that if you're a man and you hit a woman, you're, you're scum. I don't know anything else to say that you're scum. You don't, men do not hit women. That's just wrong. It's vile. It's vile. But as best I can tell, it doesn't fall in one of the two categories. Um, Yeah, I read in Colossians 3.19 that husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Right. And also, this is kind of, we were talking with my sister here and we were kind of confused because we see instances in the Bible whereby people lied. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and God blessed them. Mm-hmm. Like now, for example, the women who lied, according to the children of Israel, and they were given families of their own, Rahab, who lied concerning the spies. And I attach this to, um, to being beaten or being physically abused, emotionally abused, not only the spouse, but also the children. And I analyze and I say that... Um, what if your life is in danger? Because the more you stay with this spouse, the more the danger you're in. Right now, anyone can track you down. And even if you're separated from this person from some time, until his anger goes down, he can kill you. Can't God understand, you know, that your life was in danger? Mm-hmm. That's why you had to separate from this person, because I'm looking at the past, at the past he understood. Can't God understand that? Because... I believe our God is a loving God, and I don't think he will be there to let you be beaten by this person over and over again. This person can track you down. This person can kill you. Not only that, he can cause emotional damage to your children. Mm-hmm. Don't you think God can look at, at that, you know? Does, is, is he just black and white, you know? Can't he just even look at that with some emotional? Think about it. What can you say about it? Okay, so we have pornography, pornography, boy, you can tell I don't look at it, I can't even spell it, (laughs) all right, so, all right, so pornography, now we're saying physical abuse. Okay, so there you go again. Okay, so now we're going to talk about emotional abuse. That's an A, emotion. That's an I, T, I. Huh? Oh, it was deeply emotional. Oh. And I lost it all. All right, so, all right. Porn. (laughs) Abuse. Physical. Emotional. Okay? Drug abuse. Okay, so this guy is just totally, or this gal is totally strung out on drugs. And let's let's go this way. Not Not only are they devastating to the children... By example, let's say maybe they're even beating the children. But now there's also a huge financial crisis coming in the home because every dollar that comes in the home, this person is blowing on drugs. Okay? So we've got pornography. We've got abuse physically. We've got abuse emotionally. We've got abuse by drugs. Okay, so let's, let's say sexual abuse. I was wondering... Um... I've heard it said that if uh, if you get divorced for a reason that's not sanctioned by God, one of those two reasons, and then you remarry, that you're committing adultery. Mm-hmm. And the adultery is the sin. And it says in verse uh, 11, but if she, or it says a wife must not separate from her husband. But and this is God speaking, not mm-hmm. not Paul. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried. So would you say that divorcing somebody for one of those 
other than those two reasons, is that actually a sin or is it only become a sin after you remarry and commit the act of adultery? Sure. Because if you're married to an alcoholic and you say, I'm going to get a divorce and you remain unmarried for the rest of your life, have you committed a sin against God? Right. That's a great question. So we'll come back. Okay? <laughs> Promise. Hey, what Pat. else? What else goes on the list? Alcohol. alcohol. Okay? So they're, you know, they're abusing drugs, and we'll just put alcohol. Yeah. What else? We had a hand up over here. Okay. Okay. Not, not looking at the list or continuing on the list, but looking at it from a different angle. Would it be scriptural to have a separation but not a legal divorce? Because if you divorce, you're still going to be in the same situation that you could commit adultery. But if you separate, it, I'm thinking that that might still be scriptural. And you're getting yourself out of the situation. You're getting the children out of the situation. But you leave yourself an opportunity to come back together uh, should that problem resolve itself. Okay. So I like the suggestion. What else would go on my list? Oh, incarceration. Let's say they commit a crime and now they're in jail and they get to be in jail for 10 years. I have no idea why my thing is doing. All right, so they're in jail for 10 years. I'm done. I can't spell it in the first place, and I had to have spelled three times. They're in jail. I'm, I'm just telling you, Lisa goes to jail. That's hard. <laughs> That's hard, man. I, I'm not sure why God didn't put that one in there. Okay, I think we have another hand up. Yeah? Okay. Hey, Lynn, I was just going to basically what the, the other guy was saying about separating and then uh, that that person needs to be counseled and uh, to deal with the problem or those issues before that marriage is reconciled. Right. But the abusive person would need to move out of the home. Okay, say, say the last part again. I didn't catch the last part. The abusive person that has the issues would be asked to leave the home and then would get accountability partners to deal with uh, those issues before okay. they were reconciled. Okay. In a case of physical abu abuse, it's the woman and the children that run and hide. It's not the abuser that leaves the home. Right. Right. All right. Anything else we want to put on the list? So let me see if I got it right. We've got pornography on the list, and I think we're talking about huge pornography. We've got drug abuse, alcohol abuse, I, what about gambling to the point that it's devastating financially in the home? Uh, maybe we're losing our home. We don't have any place to live because someone's got a gambling addiction. Physical abuse, mental abuse. Huh? Mental illness. Spiritual abuse. Well, you could carry that forward to illnesses of all kinds. I mean, yeah, what, there was that if, woman who was in a coma for 10 up, years. And, yeah, I didn't sign up for you to have kidney failure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you, guys, you, get, you, get that there's, you get that there's a clause in that thing when we make the promise that says for better or for sickness and in health. Okay, so let me, let, me see, let me see if we can land this, guys. And guys, I'm just going to tell you, hey, remember what the disciples said when they heard this? 
When Jesus said, look, you guys are divorcing people for all sorts of reasons. You're divorcing them because. And they had a list. And, and they believed their list was a good list. And Jesus said, no, 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 you can only divorce if there's marital un- unfaithfulness, if there's adultery. And the disciples, what did the disciples immediately say back in response? Because they understood what Jesus was saying about this issue. They were say, he was saying that back door is really, really little. And what did the disciples say just intuitively in response to that? Jesus, if this is how it is in marriage, it's better not to get married. So they understood that Jesus was saying, man, this is a narrow back door. And guys, here's what I'm going to say out loud to you guys. This is why you don't get married casually. This is why you and I have got to train our sons and our daughters to date well and choose well. Because this is a lifetime commitment when you do this. And there is such a thing as for worse. That's an option here. This isn't, let's give it a test run and see how it turns out. This is commitment. Commitment to make it work. Now, let's go to some of those things because I'm going to tell you very honestly, I'm a pastor. I counsel all the time with people who say, my husband's a drug abuser and he's devastating our family. I've got physical abuse. My husband is hitting me and beating me. And here's what I'm going to say to you out loud, ladies. If your husband hits you, call the police. I mean, let me just say that again. If your husband hits you, have the turkey arrested. Period. There is nothing that you do other than that that is good or kind or gracious. Have the turkey arrested. Period. It's a crime. And if he does it once, he'll do it again unless you put your foot down. Have him arrested. Now, go, let's go back to the passage and see what it says. What do, you, what do you do when you get to these other just horrifyingly horrible moments? Let's go back to verse 10. To the married I give this command, not I but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. So here's what the pastor says. Look, look, look. You need to stick in that marriage. You need to hang in there. You need to, you need to do your very, 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 very best. Running away is not the first choice. It's the last choice. And then it comes to him and says, but look, there is a moment when it's going to be, it could potentially be untenable. There's a moment when you go, this guy is devastating us financially. This, this woman is got a gambling addiction and it's killing us. Um, There's physical abuse. There's mental abuse. And what he's basically saying is, okay, if you come to that moment where you say, look, being single is being better than being married to this person. He says, okay, then separate. Then separate. And I'm going to say to every woman in this room who's being hit physically, separate. Tell that sucker he's not coming home when he hits you. Separate. He's, he's out there blowing everything on gambling. Separate. Separate your finances. Separate everything. Separate. Go live on the streets, Turkey. Separate. On the deal. Okay? You separate. Because what you're really saying in that moment is, you, this relationship is so out of control. This relationship is just so devastatingly bad. It is better for me to be without you. It is better for me to be single than to be in this marriage. Separate. And there's the clause. That's the, it says, look, if you choose, I'm going to live 
in singleness versus being married to that person, then do that. You don't divorce. You just simply say, I will not live under the same roof with you. I will not live in the same house with you. We're separated. That's the clause. Questions? This reminds me of my, just somebody I know will say. Um, So once you have separated, there is a pretty good chance that either the spouse will get help. That's probably not the best chance. He might get help or her, and then you can reconcile. Or there's a good chance he might commit adultery or abandon her anyway, and then she's free and doesn't have to stay single. Okay. Wow. Here you go. All right. So there's the other shoe down. Here's the the reality, guys. Separating, when you separate from somebody, nine times out of ten, I I know you can tell me some exceptions. Nine times out of ten, that is such a huge decision within the relationship. In other words, here's what you've done. You've taken that other person and said, I would rather be single than live in a house with you. I would rather be alone than be in a relationship with you. But you realize you've now put them in a choice that says, what do I do with that answer? What do I do with that moment? And the reality is the idea of staying uncommitted after that decision is made within a relationship almost never happens. And what you've really done in the cards you've played, because it's a huge card when you separate, is that nine times out of ten, not every time, nine times out of ten, you're going to have this person go one of two ways. They're either going to say, oh my goodness, I had no idea we were this serious. I had no idea that I had worn you out that much in the relationship. I had no idea I had turned your heart that far away. I will do whatever I have to do to restore our... I'll go to counseling now that I refused to go to before. I'll go to church now that I never was going to do. I, I will do whatever I have to do to come back and restore the relationship. And what I say to the partner, the one who has done the separating is, if that is the response, and if, you know, because you don't have in biblical grounds for divorce, if they're willing to do that, do not, do not, do not, do not, do not, do not, do not let them back in that house until they have redated you and until they have absolutely proved to you that they're done with the old ways. Because you let them back in the house in three weeks, guess what they're going to do three weeks after that? Exactly what they did before. Because it didn't hurt enough. So if you get to the place that you play the card of separation, you need to be committed to saying, I will not let you back in my home. And I surely will not let you back in my bed. Until I am absolutely, completely satisfied that that old person is gone and that you've turned a new leaf. You'll never hit me again. You're done with gambling. You are not touching alcohol anymore. If I don't believe that, you're not coming home. And I'm just telling you that when you go to separate, you've got to have that resolve. You've got to say, I'm playing my biggest card and I'm not going to take that card off the table until I am absolutely convinced you've changed. Because if you take that card off the table early, you'll never be able to play it again. Not well and not believably. Okay? But here's the other side that very often happens within that relationship. Is that person says, fine. You're going to separate from me? I'll show you. And six weeks later, guess what they're doing? They're dating. And two weeks after that, guess what they're doing? Come on, you've watched Lifetime. What are they doing? Now, 
And the reality is, is that this is such an incredibly strong decision that there's a darn good chance within fairly short order, they're going to say, all right, if you're telling me you're not going to live with me, you don't want to have me in the house, I'll show you. And they're in another relationship before you can blink. And at that point, then you go, hey, I'm not bound anymore, right? Because they've gone off. They've had a relationship with somebody outside of our marriage bed and outside of our covenant. I'm no longer responsible at that point. Scripture is just saying you cannot be the initiator of divorce. You cannot be the abandoner. You cannot be the lever. You've got to be the one who is always saying, I am willing, I am willing, if you're willing, to make this thing work. The out clause is, it's so bad right now, I'll work on our marriage, but I'm not going to work on the marriage with you in the house. You get to live somewhere else while we work on this marriage. And then if they leave the marriage and go sleep with somebody else, well then, didn't Scripture say you're not bound at that point? Okay. So we had questions. Because we love this one, right? Oh, time is down to, uh, time. Okay. So let me, let me take, how, how, how urgent were the questions? Okay. Kind of. All right. So here's what we'll do. We'll go ahead and I'll take two questions really, really fast. And the microphones have already been given away. All right, yell them. Mm-hmm. So what do you say when someone says, hey, lying in the Bible is cultural? Didn't really mean it. Asking Jesus in your heart is cultural. Didn't really mean it. See, the reality is, is that when you get to the things in the Bible that are clearly cultural, um, you're, you're, it's not you're going into clear passages of Scripture and, and saying, hey, I'm just not going to honor that one. It's real clear that it's cultural. Like, for instance, Scripture talks, and we're going to get into it next week, meat offered to idols. And, and when's the last time you got offered meat offered to an idol? Okay. But to try to rub that on top of every passage I don't like is an absolute violation of Scripture. It just is. And the things that are culturally relevant, and the truth is, we're going to get in next week and find out there's some really, really powerful applications of something that was culturally true but still speaks into our culture today. We just have to adapt it. But those things are so clear. They're so easy to see. It, it's unfair to now rub, hey, it's cultural in every passage I don't like. It's a quick question. Yeah. If there is adultery in a marriage, can it be forgiven if both parties are willing to forgive absolutely but here's the here's the caveat and i'm glad you asked that and we'll just end on that one here's what i'm going to say to you if if your spouse is caught in adultery and you're willing to forgive it and i'm, I'm going to say this really quick and then we can talk about more if you need to it is amazing to me how many times someone is caught in adultery the offended party in other words the innocent victim party wants to forgive it but the other person is still interested in having the relationship outside or is unrepentant and I'm just going to tell you, you're crazy. You can forgive it, but you're crazy you bring that person back into a marriage who doesn't acknowledge how deep a violation it was and doesn't say to you beyond a shadow of a doubt, I will never go there again. That's not forgiveness. That's just stupid. Okay? Can I just say that's dumb? That's dumb. Okay? Because there's a the difference between being forgiven and being smart. Okay? And you don't bring somebody in who's not repentant of their sin and bring them back into your home. You don't do that. But the other side of it is, and here's the other shoe down, if I choose to forgive you for adultery, I believe before you actually 
bring that person back into the relationship and bring them back into the marriage bed, you need to have absolute confidence that some of the unhealthy things that probably led to that moment in your marriage are fixed and that you're well on your way to health. Because here's the problem. You get six months in later and all the things that led up to that adultery are still there and all the dysfunction is still there. You can't then go, all right, this isn't working, so I'm going to pull back out the adultery card from six months ago and beat you on that. You can't do it. Once you say, that's done, you don't have the freedom to use it as your free pass out of the marriage the rest of your life. So I'm just going to say to you, if, if, if I, let me tell you what I would do. Okay, and I'm saying this because my wife is here and she'll be scared. Um, I'm teasing. If, if my spouse committed adultery, they would not be in my house the next day. They would live somewhere else until I had the confidence we were not going to go back and repeat this again. Even if my intent in my heart was to forgive them. I would need to know that I had a changed person before I said, okay, come home. Does that make sense? Because I cannot tell you how many, especially women, let that guy back. He goes, oh, I'm sorry. Let him back in the home. And he may not be unfaithful again, but all the dysfunction, all the craziness is still there in their marriage. And it's miserable. I wouldn't do it. Okay. All right. Thank you, guys. I know that was hard. I'm going to stay after because I know some of you are going to have questions and you're going to be mad. And so I'll talk. Okay. All right, let's pray real quick. Let me pray real quick. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, thanks for tonight. Thanks for a chance to get into Scripture. Thanks for allowing us to wrestle and uh, struggle through what you had to say. Help us, help us not to finish until we land truth in our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys.